seven minutes in heaven. This podcast is brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Get your TV together with the best of live and on demand. Learn more at directtv.com. Welcome to 77 Minutes, a Dallas Mavericks podcast, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Tim Cato. I write about the Mavericks. I talk about the Mavericks. And the Leadership Council of 77 Minutes, our very own podcast, has decided they're not going to show up. There is no voting on something going to be happening. Like, they're just, they're just not here. Nobody's here. No Dave. No, uh, no Mike. But we've got Austin Gurria. Listen, I'm here. I'm here to replace the Leadership Council. And I'm here for my Montessori Mavericks. Montessori Mavericks. Montes- Montessori Mavericks. Is this something we need to talk about this moment, or, or are we going to dive into we're, this later? We're going we're to dive straight into the leadership council. I'm, every, everyone is a is a leader in in the group. You know, we're just doing great. Jason Kidd, Montessori principles for the team. I mean, if if Trey Burke wants to decide that he's going to be a leader tonight, he can decide that <laughs> on this team. And everyone feels empowered to move. This is true player empowerment. Is really what Jason Kidd's trying to implement. I mean, this is the player empowerment era. It, anyway, it let's reset. So so Austin, um, just long time associated around the Mavericks in various manners. Um, also in various manners associated with uh, me. We were roommates and worked at Mass Moneyball together and some other stuff. So, you know, we're here just hanging out in my living room, recording a podcast. Last night, um, we are recording Wednesday evening. But, uh, but last night, Tuesday night, the Mavericks won their second game of the season. They played 15 players. Now, I, I couldn't confirm it in the story I wrote um, that it was the very first time, even though it had to have been. And I have since received a text, a, a message from Basketball Reference themselves, confirming that this is the first time in their database that 15 players have appeared in the first three quarters of a game. Um, again, it makes sense because the roster rules, um, there was only, you know, it used to be 13 active players. So there's only been a year and a week of games where it, it is even possible that 15 players could appear all at once. But Jason Kidd did it. He's the first one. He is the very first one. He, he made history. He is a historic record-setting coach. What do you think the minutes chart looks like? Who's, who do you think was assigned to, like, get 15 players to all play minutes in three quarters, which is really impressive, honestly. I, I don't even think mathematically, I, I didn't think it was possible to get 15 players equally into a game in three quarters. I mean, that's why it's never happened. Like, it, like if you look at the box score, you look at the minutes assigned, like there was not a, a like an equal, meaningful, mathematical way to actually play that many players. And so it ended up that five players got uh, less than five minutes each. And they took, I think, three shots between them, which... I will say in terms of game effect, um, it's probably not the most ideal way to set up a roster, but I, I don't I don't think that the coaching staff had any qualms or beliefs that it was. I don't think that this is actually their plan. Um, it was more about this this leadership council and this empowerment and, and this these, you know, un you know, there 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 are chemistry reasons to do this, I, I would assume. Um and by I would assume it's, you know, if Luka Doncic comes uh, along with a couple other players and says this is a good idea to Jason Kidd and Jason Kidd is being a different sort of coach, then, yeah, maybe you go ahead and do this. So let's I mean, I just yeah, I don't want to dwell on like how effective it was. It was not that effective. It's not as effective as playing an actual rotation done. OK, like everybody knows that that's not the reason they did it. Um what do you think about like why they did it? Because the why is, I think, all that matters. Is there is there a legitimate, meaningful reason 
Um, you've been, like, you played college sports in a way that I didn't. You've been in more locker rooms than me as like an actual player. Very different. But, you know, just from the chemistry, just from the, you know, uh, almost the aesthetic of, of kind of the decisions that they were making. Um, where are you on this? I think, first of all, it's great for the team. Everyone gets to play meaningful minutes. It was it was a close game. It was a two-point game in the third quarter. And I think there's actual value in every single player in the roster at the back end of the roster getting to play competitive minutes early on in the season without sacrificing wins or losses. Do you, do you think the players really feel like that? Do you think Josh Green getting like three and a half minutes feels like he made an impact on that game? I, I'm not. This is not a loaded question. I think less so for Josh Green, but more so for maybe like Frank Nilakina or... Most he made a Brown. shot. Yeah, he made a shot. When you get to play actual competitive basketball, um, that helps you. And a lot of times, like guys that end on the bench, they go months at a time for without playing competitive basketball. Right. And so if you're if you're Frank Nile if you're Moses Brown, it might not be until December until you get actual meaningful minutes. Garbage time is just a very different level of basketball. This is it was a nice little gimmick that Jason Kidd did. It didn't sacrifice a win. I think everyone gets to feel great about it. And on the overall, it's a positive. You Obviously, he's not going to do it every single game. But I think everyone feeling included and feeling a part of the process, if you, you know, there's like the Warriors said, strength in numbers. Over the course of a very long NBA season, I think they're, I think they're taking team chemistry and um, their bond as a team very serious this year. And they're leaning in on the continuity of their roster because they haven't really shaken up their roster at all in the last three years. And so that's the only thing they can really truly lean into to really create an advantage for them because they have a lot more continuity than most teams. Yeah, I like I like that point. I think that's a good point. I I mean, it's 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 also a an indictment on the roster. That, Absol- that absolutely, exists. absolutely. But that said. If if you know if you're coming into a team and you 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 know you don't have the option of of revamping things you know I, I wrote this in the in the piece that I wrote following following Tuesday's game is that you know in a lot of ways Jason Kidd was brought in to not be Rick Carlisle and I guess the way I mean that is that you know Mark Cuban came out right after Game Seven against the Clippers and he said Carlisle is our head coach clearly. The concepts, the ideas of what Rick was doing on the court strategically was not what was viewed as the issue in Dallas. When Carlisle decides to leave, I don't think that, like, I don't think it ever makes any sense to say, oh, we're radically going to think differently about how this team should be run. um, Or or we're going to bring in a bunch of head coaching candidates and interview them all to see who has the most creative ideas about how to bring this roster forward. Um... I mean, maybe you should do that. I, I think that there is some level of value in that. But I, but I think if you're someone who believes in the way that Carlisle was causing this team to play um, and, and coaching this team to play, then yeah, you, you don't need a dramatic um, overhaul of what is happening strategically, what's happening in terms of the offense and the defense, uh, scheme-wise. What you need is someone who is not Rick Carlisle. You need someone who is willing to listen to players. You need someone who is able to build up the the, the locker room and the chemistry in a way that is different. And while, yes, Kidd is kind of a weird coach based off his track record to be the person to do that, I, I do feel that he is showing that element of, you know, uh, of coaching a lot more, um, you know, like this. Like, like what other coach would do this? He, it seems like he really went to some sort of like long-term like 
coaching clinic. Not Mon- even coaching. Montessori school. He looks honest. It does feel like a Montessori school. It feels like he like spent a long time in like a very nice like therapy session and has really learned about how to treat people, which is great because you know he. If you've read the, the Giannis book by Marion Fader, there were lots of terrible stories. And it seems like he's actually the complete opposite of that now. And that's a good thing for the team. W- whether or not his his tactics and whether that plays out over the course of the season, that's a different a case. But even last year, me, me and you, we talked about earlier in the season, we were like, this team has a very strange vibe. We, we Not necessarily they, they hate each other, but like it was just, it was very strange. And then they would lose games in Sacramento, and like, I was going to bring up Sacramento. They would they would lose games they shouldn't lose, and I think maybe we'll see like having a team that's truly connected and locked in and engaged helps you not drop games that you shouldn't lose. I, I was like Sacramento to me it stands out as like there was one game specifically where they just got they they just got like mollywopped. Yeah, they just got destroyed. Yeah, by. So Sacramento and, and I'm not a I'm not person I'm not I'm not the type of person who does a lot of body language reading and oh well the team just looks like this so this must be true I think in those games I did feel very strongly that the team was just not trying hard enough that they did not believe in you know that the the coaching staff around them or yeah I guess specifically the coach at top was not somebody who could get more out of them who could bring more you know could 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 empower them to to fight through you know the fatigue of that condensed schedule uh it, it really just did feel like the, the the team was was taking games off i mean there was i, I think oklahoma city uh they also lost uh, in a game that luca and chris Tepps both sat out of um when i think the plan was for luca to play because chris Tepps had sat out the or he had played the night before and luca had sat out of that one um so whatever the details are there uh, it, it just did feel like the team dropped games in situations where it was effort or it was cohesion or chemistry uh much more than tactics or strategy because yeah no you know the Mavericks shouldn't be losing to them and I I don't I don't really assign you know just some random variance to a 30 point blowout to a team that you know you're much better than you know I think it had to have been at some level effort so and I think it's pretty clear because they're not shy about talking about how much happier they are every single time they're on camera or on an interview like it's 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 very cool. A lot right. of them have very much like new ener- new relationship energy, and they they all seem to be very happy, especially KP. Um, so I think it's not a it's it's not a jump or jumping to conclusions to assume that they were very unhappy as a team last year. And when you have the same group of guys from last year to this year, and they all seem much happier and much more engaged, you know that's that's a coaching win for Jason Kidd so far. Do you like the idea of three players, you know, being part of a council that directly shares thoughts and ideas with them? You know what? I think every team has players who have influence on the team. They've just given it a, an, a specific structure and a name and that they have exact the exact level of influence that they can go to kid and communicate. And be like, hey, we, we like this. We don't like this. And I think over the course of an 82 game season, it's nice to know um that you can talk to your coach or that you have players in your team that you can go to and be like, hey, I think this, I think that you want to talk to Kate about this. Because if you don't have that level of communication within your team, that's when things break down, that's when we get mad, that's when people demand trade. Like that's, communication is, with any group, any organization is very key. And it seems like they've solved that problem. So 
I think it's a really good situation. And I think maybe it's part of Nico like coming in and putting in a lot of structure in a lot of places where the Mavericks honestly previously didn't have a lot of structure. And it was kind of just no, the right hand never knew what the left hand was doing it, all from the organization from the top down. And so, yeah, it seems gimmicky and like cute or whatever to have a leadership council. But I think the structure in the long term will be good for their internal team dynamics. Yeah, I, w- I would agree that like a, a player-friendly coach in a positive atmosphere and environment probably doesn't need to do something like this because the players are just empowered to be able to talk to him and suggest ideas to him and, and, and they know that he will listen to them. But because of where the culture was at, because Jason is a new coach coming into a very similar team that, you know, anybody who's been around this team has, you know, there's nobody on the roster who wasn't coached by Rick Carlisle here. Um, I think that maybe a more direct, distinct uh, rewriting of what this team can be, um, of what the atmosphere and the chemistry around this team should be. Um, I, I do I do see the council at, in some ways kind of getting at that. And I agree. It's definitely a bit gimmicky. Um, but if this is what, you know, if this is where the atmosphere around the team, like if it needed a direct rewiring, I at least understand where it's coming from. And I, I don't really have any issues with that, you know, gimmicky or not, like gimmicks work sometimes, you know, yeah. like I, I come up with, you know, dumb things that shouldn't make sense, but, you know, help me keep focus during the day. So, you know, there is very, you know, corporate atmosphere. Um, I, I don't know if the Mavericks are like, I, I don't know if I discard what they're doing as that uh, essentially, but a lot of corporate, um, you know, like, like time hacks or, or, you know, what do you call them? Like corporate, uh, you know, uh, tips yeah. you know like like whatever hr like if, if they're sending an email to your company with like here's some uh, time management tips a lot of them are gimmicky um some of them are just dumb but some of them work even if they're kind of gimmicky there, there's just, there's a psychology to them right and, you know right. It, may, it may not work long term for like multiple seasons but it's definitely not going to hurt in right. the short term and i think kind of closing the door completely on the Carla era and being like, we're in a completely new, completely just like fresh era. It's good. And I think, you know what? There are so many other things that Jason Kidd would be doing that would be way worse. And I'm glad that our, the thing that we have to talk about with Jason Kidd is that like, he maybe he's empowering his players and being a little too nice to them. I'm, I'm glad that that's the conversation <laughs> that we're having instead of being like, oh, he's doing this A, B, and C that is super negative and the team hates him and, and whatever. So... I think it's good that the conversation is moving this way. And I think I'm, I've been pretty impressed so far that kid has, I think he's a much different person than he was when he was in Milwaukee and when he was in Brooklyn. And I think as a person and as a uh, coach in an organization, I think he's changed. Whether his tactics on the court long-term are going to pan out, we'll see. They're two and one, it's game three. I've liked some things that I've seen so far. The defense has been... There's, there are honestly, there's so few possessions now where I get mad watching on defense. I think they'll be challenged for with three point heavy teams. I think they are a little susceptible to giving up the three, and that's why Houston was in the game last night because they're so committed to, to taking away the paint. But I think they're they're constantly fighting on defense. They it it up- did feel like every time Dallas was about to pull away from Houston, it was a it was a corner three. Yeah. that the Rockets hit mm-hmm. that just cut the gap a little bit. Yeah. And I think they don't give anything up at the rim, which is great. It's it's really nice. And they don't they don't allow as much dribble penetration as they did previously. And they're 
they're much more turnover heavy team. They had a lot, making a lot more splash plays on defense than they did previously. And instead of, it constantly felt like with Carlisle that they were just like trying to play a bend don't break defense, but didn't have the personnel to do that. And it does feel like they're trying to hit first on defense. And they'll they'll have some misses, but I don't constantly worry about them. They seem average, above average. They don't seem bad. And for a long time, it was just like, I hope we I hope they survive. I hope they survive on defense. And it seems like they're less surviving and more trying to attack and trying to figure out different ways to disrupt the offense from a defense perspective. It been don't break defense may have been the only way you could have played with KP with the level of movement he had last year. Yeah. Um, that's the biggest difference I've seen in terms of defensively, just what they're capable of doing is that, you know, the center, the big man, the most like the crucial cog to the offense that plays the most minutes has been someone you can lean on. You can ask things of that, you know, is more dynamic than, you know, a very passive dropping scheme where, you know, he barely comes out of the paint or, or honestly usually didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Usually didn't make it out of the paint and in, in pick and roll schemes like that. So I, I think that's been, that's been a huge part of, of this turnaround of, of just the way that the Mavericks have uh, looked better defensively. I agree. It's three games. Um, I think that I am I am a big per, I am big on the statistics and the long term games played will determine whether things are better or worse. Um, but we can talk about things that have happened, things that we've seen. We can do that on the offensive end as well. I thought that the Houston game was much better in that sense that their sets were more cohesive, that they made more sense. Um, you know, it was honestly after all this talk about Kristaps, he was mostly a spacer. I don't think yeah. they called one post up for him. That was not a um, something that happened in probably the final ten seconds of the shot clock, where he had a mismatch and he was down low, and Luca found him and, and threw the ball into him. He didn't make those shots, but you know those are situations where ideally, Kristaps can post up, and you can be okay with that because he is finding advantageous situations ten feet from the basket with a smaller person on his back, rather than you know rather than calling these you know eighteen foot things from the elbow. Like he's Dirk Nowitzki, which we very clearly know he's not. Yeah, and I think first he's not playing the five a lot um, so far, and so if he's not playing the five, you really can't post him up because if you're posting him up, there's going to be another big in the lane, and I think they've solved that pretty quickly. I think well, you could if you put like Maxi at the four, but yes, yes in the starting it, lineup with with the starting lineup as it exists, which uh, I believe was minus eleven again last night. Um, anyway, the, the the numbers on the start, starting lineup continues to go down. But I, I did at least like that, yes, I agree, you can't post them up if Dwight Powell's on the court. Um, but I like that they didn't, that they actually did space Chris Stapps, and that Dwight was very heavily involved in all the pick and rolls. Which yeah. is, if you're going to play that lineup, that's how you have to play it's it. Like, it was a great adjustment. And I think the spacing issues that happened in, in the first game were less a result of coaching and more a result of new players adjusting to a new scheme and in, in new spacing and new movement where they're... they're Movement last year was a little more stagnant. And so that timing is something that you really have to, it takes some time to like get used to like different cuts, different movements. And with KP, as long as he plays the five more often than not, he's going to, he's going to produce good offense and you don't have to post him for him to have good offense. He can get cuts. He can seal men at like close to the basket. As long as he's setting a screen, Pretty often, the offense is going to be very good. And I think his spacing yesterday when he played next to Powell was, was really good. And Powell was, was a great screen sitter. It's actually really funny. Their shot making has been horrible 
all three games. They have not made shots. Honestly, Tim Hardaway has been a godsend. They're they're for fifth them. worst in the league on three per, per, three point percentage, and they're not getting bad looks. Luca's not making threes. KP's not making threes. Dorian's not making open threes. And so it's actually been kind of I think it's comforting to know that they can shoot 28% from three for an entire game and still win and still generate enough offense and play good enough defense to win games. And that's that's what I got from the, the Rockets game because honestly, last year, if they weren't hitting threes, that was it. Like, I, I there was a great stat that Bobby, Bobby Corella from Mavs.com tweeted out last year where if they didn't shoot better a better percentage from three than their opponent, I think they lost every single game. I, they might have won one or two, but they could not lose the three-point percentage battle and win games last year and i think this year they'll be able to do that and as long as they can do that i think that bears a lot better for them come playoff time if they need other options when they can't hit threes right i will say i I was looking at the numbers i I don't think i included anything in my story but the i I was expecting like their wide open three-point percentage should be way down um it's about middle of the pack uh i believe 37 percent they're only generating 17 of those a game it's so early that I don't really care. I just don't care. I think by the eye test, which, you know, three games in, the eye test, I think, has yeah. at least as much bearing, if not more, than the stats you're actually looking at. Yeah. I think the eye test is that they're missing shots that I would expect them to make. That there is going to be three-point variance that swings them back towards more shot-making, um, which will just make them a better offensive team than they've been through three games. Because that's how numbers and stats and all of this stuff works. Um, but they're not generating just, you know billions of wide open threes they're you know i I believe at or slightly lower than the rate they were last year um they're certainly lower than they were two years ago that definitely checks out with the eye test it's not as many threes because they're not playing five out right 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 yeah i mean yeah i guess that's a fair point and and, you know if you just kind of tweak the spacing you have more one big lineups or you have more um at least two big lineups where maxi is one of the big so he's able to space out more um as as a dedicated uh spacing four you know even if it's palace the fifth guy um, you know, that that is going to be what generates you more wide open threes. Um, and, and look, I like looking at, I like talking and looking at wide open threes. If you read my work at The Athletic, like, you know, I talk about this all the time. Like, I think it's a good measure of what an offensive is doing, especially like a Luka offense, like the type of offense the Mavericks are trying to play. You you know, the, the best three offenses aren't the ones who generate the most wide open threes. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to like fall into that trap either. Um, you know, a a non you know a wide open three is when a defender isn't within six feet um there's some excellent offensive possessions that end with tim hardaway shooting with someone like four feet away from him and i look at that type of shot and i'm like oh this was stellar execution this is exactly the shot the mavericks wanted um and you know hardaway's that way chris steps at times can be that way uh luca shooting step backs um you know that that is a that is a factor in a part of the offense and luca's like i think 28 percent on threes right now maybe 25 maybe even he's lower been, he's been bad he yeah, he's really been bad so like like he's that's gonna bump up um actually i think he's been around 20 percent because like he's gonna he's gonna bump up significantly um so so all this is to say that we shouldn't be talking this much about numbers because it's just it's too soon it's too soon it's too early um i would say i test wise uh, a lot of your observations make sense to me do you do you think that's right? Like like do you think that the logically do you understand why the Dallas coaching staff is trying to change things and tweak things up a little bit? I think yeah, I I, I understand it because I think they look at what they did for two years and they have pretty much the same personnel. 
And if you need to go five out and hit a lot of threes, they can do it on a button. Like it doesn't, they can just turn that switch on literally whenever they want That's to. That's what we that saw second on. half against Toronto, right? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like they can just turn that switch on and they need to just learn how to play offense in other ways. And I like some of the stuff that Igor's run up for Tim Hardaway is like, as far as like a little bit in the mid range. And they've drawn up some good stuff for KP. His shots have just not really been falling. But I think it's good for them to find different ways to get different kinds of shots. And also, the amount that Brunson has played in the first three games has really surprised. He's played a lot of minutes, a lot more than I thought he would. I'm, I'm glad that he has. He's been, he's been great. And I think they're trying to find ways to be more attacking, get to the rim more. And I think what's funny is that the first two games, the Hawks and the Raptors are, I think, maybe the two best teams outside of the Sixers at guarding Luka. So it really, like, gummed up a lot of the things they wanted to do. Really, really long wing, physical really wing Physical defenders. wings. Yeah. Luka went to DeAndre Hunter jail for a whole night. That was one of the best defenders I've ever seen against Luka. And also, even the Raptors game, Scotty Barnes and... and welcome welcome to America, Luka. Yeah. People go to jail way more often here. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not like Slovenia. It's not Slovenia or Spain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and even the Raptors with Scotty Barnes and OG and Anubi, they didn't really get back into that game until they got in foul trouble, and those both of them had to sit out. And then Luca kind of got free a little bit. So I think they're trying to learn how to play in different ways, and it's going to take some time. It's not gonna, they're not going to have a top five offense for the first twenty games of the season. It's might not even be a top ten offense for the first ten games of the season, first twenty games of the season. I think it's going to take some time for them to try to figure out where they're going. But I think the real judgment for the offense will come post-Christmas. That post-Christmas to February between the All-Star break, if their offense isn't humming and it isn't really just like on a line, um, that's when I'll sort of have concern. But this first part of the season, they need to learn how to play offense in different ways. You can't play Luka... 40 minutes a game and having that 40 percent usage that's just unsustainable we saw that with the playoffs last year we even saw that on his olympic team with slovenia like at, there is a end point for him if he has the ball and runs pick and roll that often i would love for luca pick and roll high pick and roll five out for 48 minutes a game that would be a perfect offense but you can't do that so you have to find other ways and i think kid knows that and that's why Brunson has played so much. And I think Brunson's emergence as pretty much a full-time starter in his minutes is going to be a huge benefit to pretty much the entire offense. I have several more thoughts. I I will conclude just with Brunson. I think you're I think you're exactly right. I think that, you know, he's going to average the fourth or fifth most minutes on the team when before the season throughout the summer when I talked about the team lacking shot creation. They obviously, obviously, massively still lack shot creation. But I, I don't know why it it didn't like just occur to me that, you know, if you play Brunson 30 minutes and Luca 35 minutes, that does help a bit. Um, I, I guess a lot of it is that they, we know that they can survive the shot creation in the regular season. And the concern is that Brunson, even playing 30 minutes a night, even, or, you know, 27, 26, what, what, what have you. Even even then, Brunson will, you know, just the way that he creates shots, as we saw in the playoffs, will be mitigated once you reach that, those types of defenses. Um, but hey, there's always somebody, someone they could add. Uh, there's always changes to the roster that could be made. I mean, there's um, a point guard in Toronto that maybe is being held captive by the Canadian government. Mm. It's not being released because of his Slovenian heritage. I don't know. That's, that's all I hear. 
I would love Fred VanVleet. <laughs> I think I think that's a great fit for the Mavericks. I didn't know Fred VanVleet was, was European. That's great. That's I didn't know what the, the origin of VanVleet. I mean, he's got two V's in his last that's name. That's true. He can't, he can't be American. <laughs> I mean, maybe Canadian. I don't, I don't know how that works. So, all right, uh, we're gonna wrap up here. Uh, Austin, thank you for swinging through. You're so you wanna, welcome. I, I think we're gonna do this uh, maybe once a month or so at least. And do I get to harass the athletic subscribers for at least once a month? Um, do you? Well, this is a free to listen podcast. Anybody can oh, listen. It's not any, just subscribers. Anybody can listen. Right. Right. Oh, so it's out to the free world. Yeah. So it's even more dangerous. Like Oof. that's that's why that's why you got to be even more careful. I don't know. I might just talk to my lawyers first and see if I can okay. make that kind of commitment. Okay. Well, have fun with that. Um, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. See you then. Don't fight the future. Please be nice to Luca. Future four-time MVP. Oh my God! Oh! Shut it down! Let's go home! It's a wrap, Doug. That is a wrap. Woo!